Welcome to the Confessions of a Rock and Roll Cameraman podcast number three. This one, we're going to start off with Tony and his experiences with the Rolling Stones. Awesome, man. Yeah, I love talking about those That's boys. my Mick. That's my Mick right there. It's my Mick. It's good Mick, really. Yeah. Like so, that. Tony. Yes, sir. You are a champion when it comes to the Rolling Stones. You've seen them in England. But you saw them after England. Right today, we're going to talk about the Voodoo Lounge 1994. Tour. 1994. Yeah. So where did you fly off to? Well, I got the call the night before, and I flew to New Jersey the next morning. <laughs> so what? I had lots of time. 12 hours. I had time to sleep. Oh, but, Lord. <laughs> so it was great, though. I ended up there with uh, uh, Terry David Mulligan, uh, the new uh, director of programming, David Kynes, and my colleague in crime, Basil Young. And we went down there to uh, to shoot some really up close and personal interviews with the Stones. And these, by the way, were the North American exclusive, which ostensibly meant that uh, there were no other interviews. Pat, the band would would finish those shows. They're doing like four or five shows at a Giant Stadium, and then they would move to Toronto. Uh, but in in lieu of that, we were going to shoot the uh, the publicity bits that people would would see before the band arrived. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So you're, yeah. you're you're no pressure. Yeah. So you're 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 digging up the Canadian buzz and and you've got the exclusive rights. Yes. So your job is to go down there yep. and uh, interview them, I guess. You, you get, oh yeah. You yeah. Get a lot Pat. of time with them or uh, what? In, in, in Valid Point, Pat. Uh, I had that, that chance to connect with them in 1990, and they quite liked the work that I did for them documenting the Steel Wheels tour, right, for the IMAX movie. Sure. So invited back, I got to DP, Director of Photography, for an interview with the Stones, a big span in the world, kind of a lot of responsibility. Wow. And uh, things were happening really well for me. I was trending. Uh, I was really in in uh, my element as a DOP. I was experimenting a lot. Things were successful. I was trying a lot of stuff. Uh, but lo and behold, uh, I'm in a room, a vacuous, big, empty room, and I got 15 minutes to make it spectacular. Uh, no pressure pad. Wow. Yeah. So like... This is, uh, I guess this is like a the stadium, so it's like a one of those big yep. dump all the boxes yeah. here. Yep. We, you know, it's got fluorescent you know lights, yeah. it's got white walls, it's yeah, yeah. If it was a Saturday, there'd be a peewee hockey team in there dropping oh, their gear off, so right. it was pretty ugly. And as soon as I walked in, I went, Oh my god, I gotta fix this! So, uh, and that's my job. 15 minutes, so it's like, okay, and they said, You can have anything, and everybody really obliging, folks. Oh, and nice. uh. So I had all the equipment cases brought in and stacked. And a lot like our cornrc.com, uh, uh, I had a bunch of stickers, which this is a, uh, a common look backstage where there's white camera tape on everything and, and, and Sharpies, everybody's scratching in their names or whatever else. Sure. So on all the frames, if you look at it, and, and hopefully we'll be able to show you that, uh, you'll see the Rolling Stones uh, any one of the members and in the background, you'll see these white camera, t- this white camera tape. So it identified, give me a background, Additionally, Pat, I had to change the color. It was this iridescent green. It looked shit. Oh, wow. So cut off all the fluorescence. But I had, only because it's 12 hours, enough for modeling lights for the band. So what I'm missing is background. I, I don't have anything. You can't see anything. It's got to look pretty. I was walking around, reconnoitering the place. And I found an equipment locker with no, re- with no lock on it. Wow. So knowing me, uh, the diligent, thrifty guy, I just grabbed all the gear. Checked it, it worked, and I brought it all in. And I used that as my background lights. It looks fantastic. And in that, I did an old uh, music video technique that was trending in the early 90s, Pat, which yeah. is color separation, playing oranges against uh, blues. Sure. And you'll see that throughout the frames. So you went into Hank's private uh, lighting stash. Thank you, Hank. 
And uh, I owe you square, man. That's right. Here's for you, Hank. <laughs> wow. And, and so you used that, and then yeah. you had minimal time. Minimal. So then you went to their photo handler and, and asked them to. Uh, well, you'll to love this, it? and you'll appreciate this as a musician. Uh, I also had to do the audio. Oh. So we set up with mics, making sure I have no weird feedback or any kind of you know phase out. Sure. And uh, uh, this the, the, the shot was all set. And then we finally called for uh, for validation. Guess who comes in to validate, brother? Ronnie Woods. What? Yeah, Ronnie Woods is a photographer, very good one, as a matter of fact. And Ronnie Wood would come in. It was real cute. I I, I don't know the name of his children, uh, but he came in one little girl. She was gorgeous, cute, yeah, and yeah. cute as a button. And he checked out the frame. Lovely guy. And I can see, you, if, if anything, if he wasn't there to vet the photography, he was certainly there to ingratiate the space because he was a lovely guy. Okay. So he set the tenor. Interesting. And, uh, yeah, and... Uh, Kind of a cool thing in my life, you know, the Ronnie Wood out in the back. Yeah, the shots works, man. Let's do this. And then really? in come the Stones. Oh, my God. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I get a chance to meet him uh, again. And Ronnie, that would be the third time I was uh, interacting with him. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so so now you've got the stage. You, you Well, not the stage stage, yeah. but you've got your stage. You've got, and you've got approval from the band. Uh, I feel great. <laughs> uh, I get, for example, at that time, it's just a little tech thing, if I may, yeah. uh, a little geek freak here. Uh, I'm using what they call two-third chip beta cams, which means it has a really small target. And later we'll talk, we talk about steel wheels, about what it's like to have a really big screen and the difference in the idea of reality and also certain selective focus, cinematic kind of looks. Uh, so I had to get more of a cinematic look with a camera that wasn't obliging. So I had right. to take the cameras back as far as I could to get a long focal length that would give me a shallow depth of field. And so they look great. So if you look at the shots, they really look separated. It kind of works, man. It looks great. Amazing. Yeah, man. Yeah, because I remember that chip that chip phase, right, where yep. the, the cameras were just starting to, like, yep. break away yeah. from, yeah. All right, okay. This is the geek camera part of the show that many of you want to tune in for because Tony is a wealth of information. And you know what? This is a good time to mention this. If you have any questions or anything, yeah. just to put it in uh, put it in the chat. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, just, Pat. Yeah, no problem. Just put it in the chat and and I'm sure Tony will uh, will answer you. And it'll be a great way for us to engage. Okay, so Ronnie Woods has approved the layout, the set, the image that you crafted and Thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, good Lord. And, and so who is going to do the interviews? Terry David Mulligan, TDM. Terry David Mulligan. Yeah, the West Coast king of music. Do you always call him Terry David Mulligan? As a matter of fact, it was my default because uh, I was a little intimidated initially. Terry was my senior by 16 years. So that, well, I'm 39. So what would that make him? I'm not sure. Anyhow, uh, yeah, that being said, uh, TDM, former RCMP officer that gave that up for the love of the counterculture. Fact that he wouldn't shoot a dog attacking him. I love it. It's a, it's a very personal story I talk about in great detail in the book. Charming guy to yeah. work with. And my every one of my experiences to the Grammy Awards, uh, he is the right guy to lead the charge. And I was glad that I was working alongside him. So you set the stage for the Stones. Yes, sir. Who comes in for the interview first? Uh, now, now I'm trying to recall. I got it in the book. You'll see the, the, uh, uh, the progression. But... Uh, and forgive me, Pat, I don't remember the order in which they arrived. Okay. But uh, I can tell you uh, some of the really personal interactions. And one I'd like to cite, it was amazing talking to Ronnie Wood. And there was an interaction between Ronnie Wood and Terry David that really, really, really called out to me. And I'll, I'll quote you. And I managed to write, I wrote this down because I thought it was great. 
So he asked Ronnie Wood, you know, Terry asks wonderful questions and he makes it conversational. He puts everybody at ease. And so they speak like, like we're hanging out, sitting on the couch, having a chat, Pat. Yeah. It's great. And, and he said, quote, Nice. Uh, he, he said, what about, what makes Rolling Stones enduring? I mean, think about it, folks. It's 2022. They're going to go out and tour this year, right? Uh, thankfully, that's, that's the pandemic in the back of us here. Uh, but he said, quote, it's a wonderful institution that keeps rolling. That's what I like about it. They just love to play. 1994. Oh, yeah. And I thought, that epitomizes the sentiment. Well done, Ronnie. And that's them. The only thing I'll add, uh, Mick Jagger did talk about uh, Charlie Watts, who we lost him last year, and uh, my condolences to the Watts family on behalf of our show. Uh, yeah, you were amazing. The, the Wembley Whamma. Uh, but he said that, uh, in great honor of Charlie, that if Charlie wasn't with the band, they'd lost their engine, the metronome, that kind of fire. And I think that I've, uh, in a, other discussions, Pat, we talked about how the band would come back to the drum throne. And to me, I was up there on uh, in another concert shooting them, and I thought it was amazing how they would convene to hang out with Charlie, the avuncular Charlie. And it's like it was a British pub. They're coming to have a visit and see Charlie, you know, feel a little galvanized and head back out on the stage. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. Lovely guy. Like, to me, whenever I see the Stones and I see Charlie Watts, I see that he's like, he's calm. He's like, wow. he's almost the eye of the storm. He's when, kind of your, your sort of archetypal British. You'd kind of think of him in the colonial period, maybe. Oh, yeah. Right? He's got that sort of stoic look, but he's got a smile the size <laughs> of Birmingham. When he goes like that, it's kind of creepy but wonderful. Sorry. <laughs> oh, <that's>, uh, <laughs> I've never seen you do a Charlie Watts impression before. But I think we got uh -oh. a new drummer. <laughs> wow, okay. <Yeah. laughs> wow, so that's that's fascinating. How did they change? Like, did you see a big change from when you saw them uh, at Steel Wheel to, yeah. to Voodoo Lounge? And thanks, Pat. And that harkens on the notion, a lot of what the book's about, those crossroads. Because when I saw them in 90, they hadn't been on the tour for a while. And there was a bit of a cold war between Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. They're really working stuff out. And Keith kind of talks about it. If you get a chance, great read. The book Life, it's a great right. piece of work. Yeah, yeah. Really great. Really thoughtful. Uh, and Keith talks about that and also lets you know he's, in fact, the leader of the band. He wants to remind you of that. Um, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's cool. I get it. Yeah. Uh, I understand the hierarchy in bands. It's always interesting. So, so how did they change? Well, when they came back with Steel Wills, it, it was big, extravagant. What you expect of a Stone show, great music, nostalgia, provocative hits, that kind of stuff, you know, Jumpin' Jack Flash, can't, can't get no satisfaction. Yeah. Great stuff, right? Ruby Tuesday. Wow. Uh, and then when they came and Voodoo Lounge was continuing that, but it was a little more consolidated. It's like they're sort of back. I use the term rolling, and uh, it was flow again for them. So this is what you would expect of a show, and I would imagine that would have carried through right till now. The only difference is they were kind of, and, and I talk about it because it's not a great story for the Stones, but Bill Wyman leaving the band finally. Uh, he left in good terms, but there was a background kerfuffle that didn't really work well for them, uh, in my opinion. And when I met him in 84, Pat, it was a chance to really hear them talk, and that blew my mind. They wanted to talk, and... When you hear a super group open up, uh, and I've had many occasions like that, it's amazing. You sit back, you listen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, this is sage material coming your way. Learn. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But please tune in to part two and part three of the Rolling Stones at the Max experience with Tony Wanamaker.